the latest on the world game. This is 442 Insider, brought to you by the Hyundai A-League. Be part of the action this season. Hello and welcome to this week's 442 Insider Podcast. I'm publisher Andy Jackson and joining me as always is online editor Kevin Ayres. Hello there. Kev, well, let's start with a uh, pretty mundane and boring grand final, really, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, it just sort of came and went, Nothing didn't really it? really happened. Yeah. <laughs> right. Very where, dull. Where do we start? All right, let's start with the game. Uh... Did it go as to plan, as you thought? I think it did, actually. Yeah. I mean, I think you called it very well. The Perth came out, they spent five minutes really pushing hard, trying to get uh, an early goal, put Roar in the back foot for the rest of the game. After about 10, 15 minutes, they pulled back uh, and took it more at their own pace. Uh, and then it settled down pretty evenly from that point on. Roar had more of the game throughout, definitely. Roar looked stronger, but then they sneaked the early goal. Yeah, but again, you know, as we talked about Asi, there's, and we'll, we'll talk about the Champions League semi-finals later. You know, is there's, of course, when you play a team like Raw, that you let them have the ball yeah. because the day, you know, if you try and take it off them in everywhere on the pitch, that's exactly what they want you to do. They're trying to coax you out and lose your shape and then quick pass. So again, you know, it, it would. That, to me, is what football's about. Two differing tactical Absolutely. approaches. You know, Not everyone plays, plays in the same way, and it would be boring if they did. Yeah, I think, the, having said that, you know, the, uh, after Perth pulled back after the initial onslaught, they, that was the right way to be playing them. They were still pressing high. They were still trying you know, to keep them back out of uh, beyond the halfway line. Uh, not with a huge amount of success, but at least they're keeping the pressure on them. After they got the goal, the own goal from uh, Fanage. Uh, they reverted to type, I yeah. felt. Well, they pulled yeah. right I mean, back. There's, there's a difference between like having a defensive shape and, and that and removing your attacking threat exactly. completely. Yep. And that was what they did with the substitutions they went as well. Ten men behind the ball, yeah. uh, packing out the, the penalty box. And it was a disaster waiting to happen. You know, you could see that it would just pull back too hard. And the thing that annoyed me with it was that uh, you know, we'd spoken to um, a Fergie before the match, and he had identified the match, the 3-3 draw uh, against Brisbane Roar in mid-season, as their turning point, their pivotal moment. And they achieved that by keeping pushing the game, taking the game to Brisbane Roar. In the game before and the game afterwards, they reverted to type, they pulled back and let Roar come on to them, and it ended in disaster and tears. And he hadn't learned that lesson uh, and actually halfway through between scoring the goal and conceding the equaliser, there was footage of him on the sidelines laughing and joking with Stuart Monroe. And I was thinking, Mike, you should not be laughing right now. You, you're laughing. I'm sure it was an innocent, innocent joke that, you know, it was a funny remark somebody had made, but it looked like they were overconfident. They probably said, have you seen the state of Schmelz's nose? <laughs> <laughs> no, that, was, that was a horrible class. That was it? terrible. Uh, you know, I don't think... Anybody's, anybody, nobody should blame Matt Smith for the, the damage that was done to it. Uh, I, personally, I think he went into the challenge completely fairly. I just don't think he did anything to minimise the damage. I don't think he tried to maximise it. It wasn't an elbow. He raised his arms to protect himself as he thought he was going to get clattered. He you know? did. And it there happened to be his elbow that connected with Smeltz's face. Yeah, I think there's two ways of going into it. He ran into like my that. elbow, sir. Exactly. <laughs> That's pretty much what happened. Yeah, uh, I think there's two ways of going into one of those clashes. One, you can try and minimise the damage yourself and the other person, 
or you can just try and minimise the damage to yourself. And I think Matt Smith did, did the latter. But, you know, that, that's football. It's a contact sport. And under no circumstances should there have been a booking or a red card for that because yeah. that takes us back to 2006 and Cristiano getting sent off just because there was a lot of claret around. Yeah. yeah. Um, but smelts. And, and credit smelts for carrying God. on. When you actually saw, at the, at the time, you thought, oh, okay, he's busted his nose. Yeah. But then when you saw the pictures after the game and 50 stitches, and at halftime, it was a pretty horrific injury. Oh, it really was. I mean, at halftime, they said that uh, he'd split his lip f- from his lip to his nose. And that sounded horrific to me to begin with. Uh, and thought, well, fair play to him carrying on under those circumstances. Uh, but then when you actually saw, not only had he done that, he detached his nose, as his wife let me put it on Twitter, uh, and peel back the nostrils. Oh, it's just, oh, ah, it's incredible effort, incredible. Uh, we were talking about the morning after the game, weren't we? That that fifty fifty went in head first ball about uh, just before half time. Oh just, no, like, just on oh, the pain. Don't like, do it, no. don't do it. Step it's back. Not, it's on halfway. It's, it's no not worth it. it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think he'll be sore for a while. Um, obviously, the you know the game burst to life as did. Last grand final in the in the closing stages as Raw sort of you know thundered forward, um, Borussia getting the equaliser and then obviously um, the big talking point was in injury time. Yeah. So, okay, first reaction when you're watching it wasn't a penalty. Okay. I just clear. Wasn't My a first penalty. reaction was penalty. No. When I, I was watching, I thought penalty. No. I didn't think it was a penalty at the time. I didn't think it was a penalty after the first replay. I didn't think it was a penalty after the second replay. And four days later, I still don't think it was a penalty. Uh, He takes an air swing. He misses. He falls over. Fair play. Puts his hand up trying to claim for a penalty. That's his job. He gets one. He runs around like he's won the World Cup because he didn't have a penalty. You don't run around celebrating like that if it's justified penalty. That's, That's just fundamental. Uh, that's the biggest clue in my mind that it wasn't a penalty. Mitch Nichols says wasn't a penalty. Liam Miller says naturally says it wasn't a penalty. Beshart apparently told Jacob Burns it wasn't a penalty. Uh, there's enough doubt in there for it not to be a penalty. But he get but the referee gets that to make the decision. Yeah, but he doesn't get a replay. It, it, brings, it then brings us to the next part of the controversy. But before we go to that, just also a reminder, somebody else has say, cited that when did you last see a professional making an air swing like that? Well, actually, twice in that match. Yeah. And I saw Beshart doing it himself yeah, at the, the other end half. in the first half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly the same thing. You know, these things happen. And it, it, I think more than anything, it was down to the piss poor state of the pitch. There was ball was bobbling it was around. Poor. It was, and um, it, was, it was only really when the camera went pitch side that you saw how poor it was it, it looked better than it than it was from the uh, from the, the you know the top down view yeah. that you got most of the game but when it actually went pitch level you could see how bobbly it was yeah it was ploughed field virtually you know yeah. it was shocking i mean uh, yeah this... I, I mean the fact that two of us who have watched a lot of football yeah. can sit here and our first reaction is polar opposites yeah shows how difficult it is i i not in this i don't mind in the slightest people considering that it was a margin call. I absolutely agree with it being a margin call. But, you know, as I've said before, I think, I've got a, a rule of thumb on margin calls. When it's offside, you give the benefit of the doubt to the attackers. Yeah. When it's a penalty, you give the benefit of the doubt to the defenders. Yeah. Uh, and that, the two most important words for a ref to say, play on. I think the first thing is that there's a lot of like immediate sort of, you know, 
It was not a dive. No, no, absolutely not. Never. It was, no. it was definitely not a dive to win a penalty. He no. was trying to score. He, wasn't he was trying, trying to, to score. Dive. He had a miskick, he fell over, and, and then he claimed for it. And, and I, th- I think that's why my immediate reaction, and I think the referees, was penalty. Yeah. Because his fall was so natural. Because it was natural. Absolutely. It wasn't, it wasn't yeah. a manufactured fall. Like, he genuinely tried yeah. to welt the ball and missed it. Or stood on it, or whatever happened. Yeah. And the fact that, and, and what's interesting about this, and, and you know, we've talked about video replays, um, is that you still say no penalty yep. from seeing it 30 times and seeing Fox Sports slow it down and magnify it. They're saying penalty now. Yep. We still can't agree. No. Four days afterwards so with what? video replay. <laughs> so, you know, we, we talk about this would solve everything. Would it? it no, would it have solved that? I, I think there are always going to be imponderables. And yeah. again, you know, it brings me back to the, the basic rule. If there is a margin call, usually play on is the right answer. Uh that in my mind, I mean, if you the, the the video replay stuff makes me laugh. If you take just basic footage of cars going in and off a roundabout and speed that up, it looks mental. It looks like every driver is mad and off the head, and every every driver should be uh, booked. Uh, if you slow down action clashes in any form, then. It's always going to look like Rambo. And you freeze it where yeah. the, the boot touches. That doesn't mean that there's no. You can no tell the that. force behind yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How much it's a bit contact like there Paris is. Incident, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It, it's really, really misleading. You know, sometimes offside you can freeze frame because you can see exactly where people are. Yeah. But again, it's a margin call. And the way the refs work, it's as much to do with hearing as it is with sight because they're listening for the sound of the ball being hit uh, in relation to where the guy is. And sound takes a, a little time to travel. And that few milliseconds. And there's also the sound of boot on boot, boot on chin pad that sometimes the referees will, will, will add to their, you know, in that immediate. <laughs> conjuring up of right what have I just seen and what have I just heard yep exactly you know, yeah I've seen the player I think I've seen the player get get clipped I've heard something yeah you know therefore you know it, that maybe rules out that the, well says that there was contact and then the question is was there enough contact for it to be a penalty yeah yeah because the thing that the fact that there is contact between players does not make it a penalty no, absolutely not. I mean, just having contact... Otherwise, we'd have a penalty at every corner. Exactly. This is contact between players. Contact and... in the, pe- the box does not equal penalty. And, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's the tip of your boot or the tip of your finger. Uh, contact is not enough for penalty. There has to be some intention to, to stop the player from playing. Uh, some effect of stopping the player from playing. Uh, and... I just don't think that happened in this case. But the interesting thing is, you know, you were saying, I saw one thing, you saw another. I think, you know, a lot of Roar fans instantly saw a penalty. I think, obviously, a lot of all the Glory fans, but many neutrals didn't see a penalty. And this is where the the real controversy, in my opinion, comes in. The referee had connections with the Roar team, the Roar side. And it's not whether or not it was going to jeopardise or enhance his relationship to give a penalty under those circumstances. He had connections with it. One, he was compromised. Uh, well, I mean, my view on that is that he should never have been given the final. Exactly. There's you know, just no it's question. It's not fair on him. No. That, he should you know, never that, have been put in that position. It would have been a marginal enough call for Stebre Dolovsky to have. Yep. You know, 
and, and who knows what he would have given. Yep. Maybe would maybe he would have given the penalty. Yep. But the fact that there is another angle to it. Yeah. Um, just yeah, you know, and, and you know, in the World Cup, you know, if you're if you're the best referee in the world, but you happen to be Italian and Italy are in the World Cup final, you cannot referee the World Cup final. By definition, you are not then the best referee for that game. Yeah. That's it. You know, you are yeah. not the best referee. And I put that on Twitter and say, yeah, but that's an international competition. But I can promise you that a scouser will not be refereeing the FA Cup final. Exactly, yeah. I can promise you that the Classico last Saturday was not refereed by someone from Madrid or Barcelona. Yeah. And the Champions League final won't be a, a German or a, an Englishman, English yeah. ref. It's, it's that simple. Uh, and I can also tell you as well that if you had this match over in uh, Perth, and you told all the Roar fans beforehand, right, the referee is going to be uh, refing this match, is going to have a girlfriend who works for Perth Glory. How many of you are going to fly over? How many of those 50,000 would have made that trip? And likewise, how many Perth Glory fans would have spent their money coming all the way over to uh, Brisbane Roar if they'd known that the referee had Roar connections? You, you can't... It's so unfair on the fans... I also think, for me, I think it's unfair on the ref. Oh, that goes without question. I think it's unfair on him. He shouldn't shouldn't have had that kind of responsibility. He shouldn't be put in a position where his neutrality, his integrity can be questioned. Yeah, because I think, you know, as I said, my first reaction was penalty. That's all that he gets. Yeah, I can fully understand why that would be his first reaction as well, because it was mine. But that still doesn't mean that I think he should have been refereeing the game. Yeah. 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 Um, and let's also talk about the Master Medal, which turned into a farce because uh, Thomas Browitch, for the second time in a week, was given an award that plenty of people were surprised to see him get. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, what was interesting was that immediately the people that were voting for that, who were the journalists that were there, were saying, I didn't vote for him. Yeah. I didn't vote for him, <laughs> you know. Uh, and obviously, as we then found out that um, Jacob Burns was the uh, actual. Um, Joe Master medalist and if he didn't deserve it during the 90 minutes he certainly deserved it in the, in the half an hour after the game uh, because for all the things that he could have said um, post-match I thought he was um, exemplary professionalism yeah, yep absolutely I mean yeah. uh, he gets a lot of stick for being a hot, bit of a hot head on the field but he's showed remarkable calm restraint and uh, possibly just shell-shocked, to be honest. And deserving winner on the, on the game. I, oh, absolutely. I, I thought Vukovic might have been with a shout. I thought he, had, he made three or four really crucial saves. But. He did, but I, I did think Burns was immense all over the park. You know, he was a great captain's innings, uh, and you know, he was just strong throughout, uh, kept his head and uh, kept the ball moving. Right, let, yeah, let's look at the let's look at positives because there were plenty. You know, another fifty thousand crowd, our first ever back-to-back champions. Yep. Um, I, think, I mean, it's a great achievement uh, for Brisbane Roar. Fantastic uh, overall for Brisbane Roar. It's, it's a shame that you know they had that mid-season slump. Otherwise, they really could have gone back, gone out as first back-to-back double uh, winners. Yeah. Uh, but they came within a ball here of actually achieving that. Uh, it does also show that there are 45,000 people in Brisbane that have an orange shirt. Yeah. And whilst we can say where are they all the time, it does show that the potential is there. I think that's really unfair, to be honest, to to talk about, you know, these part-timers, bandwagons or whatever. If you just go to one in three games, one-third of the games, I've got a free pass uh, to all the games anywhere in the country, and I'm lucky if I went to one-third of the games. 
this season. I'd be very surprised if I did, to be honest. So if these guys who were all there had only been to one in three games, that's still 17,000 a match, which is damn close to what they were averaging. So I, I don't think it's fair to, to call them bandwagoners. It's just that every player, every person who's been to ban, uh, Brisbane Roar game came out on Sunday uh, yeah, yeah. to support the team. But we, so need, we need the bandwagoners. You know, we need, we oh, need the uplift from absolutely. the finals. You know, that's, yeah. that's why we do it, arguably, is to is to have that finals competition that, that potentially widens the interest and widens the excitement and brings people in for the first time. And yeah. the hope is that they come and see that and go, brilliant. You yeah. know, look at the drama of this. I want to come back next year. Yeah. You know, that, but that, that's the challenge now for Brisbane is to capitalise on that and try and communicate with these people and try and convert them from one in three to a... To a membership, or you know, that, so, but but what's it's been shown again is that the interest is there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're going to come to something uh, in the next section, yeah. which uh, is going to have an impact on that. But you know, they did that last season, though. You know, they had a full stadium for the final, and then pretty disappointing crowds to begin with at the beginning of the season, uh, and it built up to you know a, a reasonably healthy size. Um, they, they're really going to have to work their arses off to, to build up next season. All right, let's hold it there because we'll talk about why they're going to have to work hard to, uh, to, to keep that going next season in part two when we look at the news headlines on our website, au.442.com. The new issue of 442 is on sale now. We talked to Arsenal captain Robin Van Persie about how he became the most lethal striker in the EPL and Man City, while United legend Dennis Law answers your questions. Come with us to Russia to catch up with Socceroo Luke Wilkshire. We meet Brisbane Roar's Ivan Franjic and ask whether the tackle is dead in modern-day football. If it's in the game, it's in 442. On sale now at newsagents and the App Store. The latest on the world game. This is 442 Insider. Hello and welcome back to this week's 442 Insider podcast. Well, where we left off at the end of part one was um, saying that the Raw have now got a, another stage in their development to, uh, to look ahead to uh, because 48 hours after the grand final, Ange Postacoglu was gone. Um, much anticipated. Uh, the news was finally um, confirmed. Um, Kev, where do you sit on this? I mean, Raw fans are, are obviously um, angry about this. You know, he signed a three-year deal a year ago. Yeah. And the new owners came in. I think they've, they've been in a state of denial, though, a lot of them uh, up until yesterday. They genuinely believed that wasn't going to happen, even though, you know, the jungle drums got louder and louder and louder over the past three weeks. Yeah. Um, you can understand their anger, uh, but by the same token, I was surprised it was yesterday, to be honest. I, I thought he would stay until the end of the ACL. But he obviously clearly wants to go on a high note, and it doesn't look like the ACLs is going to give them any high notes to finish. Well, they're, they're, I mean, they're, they're all but out of it, and I, I guess also it gives the new. Well, you know, Rado was uh, was announced yesterday as the new coach. Um, gives him a couple of ACL games to have a look at things, and you know, that, that true. I mean, three hits really. It's it's straight into the action for him, uh, but you know that technique didn't work so well for Mem. Jurakovic uh, with victory did very very well in the ACL uh, with victory yeah. and then flopped in the season so it's not necessarily the best precedent I mean um, let's talk about Rado you know, he's been assistant there for seven years yep. every A-League season um, and the, the news or, the, or there was a story in the Courier Mail up there I think it was this morning uh, and it all points to the fact that Ken Stead will be staying there mm. uh, with Vidasic now obviously yeah. 
I'd assume that when Ange went, Ken Stead would go with him because they did appear to be very much a sort of double act and they were the guys that, you know, went in and shook the roar up with the new sort of philosophy and whatever. But him staying, I think, is a... If I was a Raw fan, I would be massively, uh, you know, buoyed by that news. Definitely. Uh, it's an interesting decision. I wonder if that was one that was forced by victory, perhaps, just not being willing to uh, pay what was required for Ken Stead to come along as well. Or, or Ma- they're just Rusky's still on the contract. So. Yeah. Um, so that was an uh, interesting move. Um, as far as Rado's concerned, I think it's this is the... F- probably only the second time I've had real confidence in uh, an assistant taking over. Yeah. Uh, I didn't have an awful lot of confidence when Fergie took over, uh, started managing, didn't have too much confidence in Mem at all. Uh, but yeah, I think he, he looks like he could do a big job. The only problem is he's been assistant for so long, it's going to be difficult, I think, for him to get the players to accept him as the ultimate voice. Uh, yeah. they're so used to him being second in command but also I, th- I think what's in it is that you know Raw have obviously have their way of playing you know that, that it was driven by hands that was yeah. necessarily the way they played in year one but you know Rado Vilicic has had sort of two and a half years of that you know and, and I think that it's a it's a logical appointment because he's going to continue that and Ken Stead staying there so, you know it just is just even more weight towards that you know it's almost like I could take over at Barcelona and I'm not going to go in there and change the way that they play. Yeah. yeah. They wouldn't accept it. No. Yeah, no. They wouldn't, yeah. They wouldn't put anyone in there that was going to say, you know, like they wouldn't put Mourinho in there. No. You know, they wouldn't probably put Rafa Benitez in there. They'd probably put Wenger in there yeah. because it's they have their way of playing and they style. find a coach that fits that, yeah. not the other way around. So it's a, it's a club-driven philosophy rather than a coach-driven philosophy. And I guess that's what Roar have said is, we want to keep this as now our club philosophy way of playing. The best way to do that is to promote from within. Yeah, but I mean, the, the thing with Rado is he has been there for seven years, so he's been under Bleiberg, he's yeah, been there under yeah. Farina, and they're coaching styles. So he has actually he's got a, a wide breadth of knowledge, wide depth of knowledge. But I think he will have seen what has worked. Absolutely, <laughs> what's been successful, and also seen where the weaknesses are. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, uh, yeah. and more willing to try something else when Plan A is not working. Whereas Ange was very pure in his philosophy that it had to be plan A all the time didn't matter if you lost plan A all the time uh, Rado might just be prepared to yeah, stuff it <laughs> let's put everybody behind the ball and protect this 5-0 lead <laughs> or yeah. whatever well we're, I mean we're all assuming that Ange is going to victory um, is the announcement planned for today 11.30 this morning it's, okay so about so... 16 minutes so whilst we're on air um, or whilst we're recording this you will probably have confirmation of that because I can see Kev has got tweets of plenty popping up on his screen in front of him um, so for victory what do we think I think it's going to be interesting days at Victory. I really do. Uh, Harry Kuhl left to go back to England for six months, saying that uh, he wanted to see who the new coach was and see how he would fit into his plans. And I don't know how Harry Kuhl will fit in his plans. I'm not saying he won't. Yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm, it's I'm, an interesting one because Ange has gone on a record saying that the A-League is a young man's game. Exactly. Uh, However, but you know, he you had, look at Harry Kuhl as being probably one of the most talented players in the league. That could play any system. Yep. You know, so it's going to be a really interesting one. It is. Uh, and I think if Harry was to turn up in the state of unfit, 
fitness, unfit condition that he did last season when he arrived at Melbourne Victory. I think Ange would have him straight out the door this time. Uh, he will need to stay at the top of his game to survive. You know, it, it's not, not like when he arrived at Roar and there was the alleged drinking culture going on with some of the senior players there, which he then cleared out uh, and sacrificed his first season with the club uh, to transform that uh, that culture. Uh, I don't think that's obviously an issue with Harry Kuehl. You know, he's much the, the family man and yeah, uh, yeah. quite living guy. But match fitness is vital to him. Uh, and, you know, it took a good three months into the season before we started seeing the best of Harry Kuehl because he just hadn't put in much conditioning at all over the the, uh, the summer, the, the northern summer. Uh, so I think there's that interesting debate. Uh, that's a big decision that Ange's going to have to make, and probably possibly Harry Kuehl's going to have to make as well. Uh, but, of course, if... I mean, the other question is, is, is Ange Postacoglu going to be a big enough coach for Harry Kuehl? I, I think in A-League terms, you would have to say he would be. Uh, I mean, OK, he's not, uh, a, he's not a foreign name, he's not uh, Mourinho or anything like that, but in terms of the A-League, he's most, one of the most successful league Harry was politely quite scathing about Mehmet. Well, as I, a I very public in his support of Jim McGilton. A huge gulf, huge gulf between Mem and Ash. Admittedly, and, but and I'm if, talking, if, you know, if in, he in was Harry, in Harry's mindset, if, if he was a local coach that's got no, re- okay, Greece, you know, but no big league European experience. Uh, I, th- I think. Any player that was unhappy with Ange, Ange is at the moment, unless things start to go horribly wrong for him at Melbourne Victory, Ange is going to be our next Socceroos manager uh, after Brazil, the way things are going. Uh, and I think he looks like he's going to be a good one, unless things go horribly wrong at Victory. So I, I don't see that being an issue, to be honest. Uh, I really, I would be very surprised if Kuehl dismisses Postacoglu, uh, unless Craig Foster really gets into his ear. But even he's had to put his hands up and surrender that uh, Postacoglu is a good coach now. Uh, so no, I don't think that's the the, the biggest issue. Um, but I think Carlos Hernandez, uh, Danny Alsop, uh, Archie Thompson, <coughs> these were people that you know were already in the firing line. Grant uh, Brebner. Grant Brebner as well. Uh, the old guard who have you know. Many of them perform sterling service for uh, Melbourne Victory. Could be looking for new clubs. I mean, Harry Kuehl will go straight to West Sydney if if he decides he doesn't want to work with uh, Postacoglu, you would think. But um, as for the rest of them, while Archie Thompson would probably do a fantastic job for Sydney, I don't quite see him washing up there somehow. No, I can't see that. <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, and Carlos, he's already been linked with Adelaide United, interestingly enough, uh, which would be... An interesting move for them. Uh, Danny Alsop, you must think, must be close to retirement, same for Grant Brebner. So, yeah. I mean, it's gonna, it's, I guess it's going to be interesting because I, I, I think, unlike the Brisbane players when Ange first went in there, the Melbourne Victory players know what's coming now. True. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. when, when he went into Raw, it was <coughs> it was all new. It was yeah. like, right, we're going to tear it up and start again, and this is the way we're going to play, and this is what I expect from my players, and this is the style of football, and this is how fit you need to be. 
the Vichy players have, have got notice of what is coming, and it's like I'm, oh, absolutely. And the difference this time as well is Ange probably was the only person that had confidence in what he was doing at the yeah. time. Everybody else had dismissed him by this stage. Yeah. I, I know I had. Uh, and I'm pretty sure I wasn't alone with it. This time, victory players will be putting their heart and soul into doing anything Ange says because they can see the del- success he can deliver uh, if they and can get inside of him. We'll be seeing the, the players that are at the club already that may get a new lease of life and a chance under Ange where they maybe weren't getting a chance before because they didn't suit that system. Absolutely, yeah. You know, some of the younger guys there, the James Jegos, you know, like. Um, yep. Uh, I, I think, think I mean you know, we see him flourish on them, you know, Matt Fashini, people like that. That, that you know, Chego, we're going to see so much more of, I'm sure of yeah, it. Uh, uh, and you know, who knows what else is hiding away in the uh, Victory's Youth League side that we haven't really had a proper look at up to now. I think it's going to be uh, very interesting days for them. And, and obviously, the big question would be how many from the Raw will he take with him? Apparently, none. Yeah, uh, that's the word from uh, Brisbane. And Do you reckon that was part of the deal? I think it must have been. You know, uh, it would be, uh, it would really be a, a cruel blow. Because they've let him walk away from his contract. So well, I mean, I yeah, this is the thing that you know hasn't actually been clarified as well. But I'm presuming that there is no payment involved. That they has, they have just released him and said, "Go on yourself then," which is so hell maybe of a- there is a non-public sort of right, you know, bit like a you know. So like non-compete clause, you can't come back. You can't take almost any gardening for leave the first season. Or yeah, so. yeah, and I think that's probably only fair uh, on both sides. And you know, it, Ange needs to build afresh from victory. I think that's what he would want to do anyway. There's no point in just bringing the same team that you had and put them in a yeah. different kit. Uh, and also, I guess that would then also add weight to the keeping, you know, the promotion from within of, of Vidasic. Yeah. Know, in that, you know, right, the players know him. You know, <coughs> there's not that doubt of is there going to be any personality clashes from the incoming coach, even if he, he's going to play the same way. Yep. You know, and I, I guess if there was that deal and they knew that they were going to have pretty much the same squad, then it makes sense to have someone that they're already familiar with. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right, well, the managerial uh, merry-go-round is, is obviously still... Plenty to go. We've still got to find a coach for Sydney SC. We've got to find a coach for, for West Sydney. Um, one man that is looking for work uh, after surprisingly being given the axe by his uh, Thailand uh, team is Phil Stubbins. Yeah, that came as a bolt, of the, got bolt from the blue for us and uh, by the sounds of it for Phil as well. He got told by one of the club secretaries, <laughs> which is a bit of a, a... Excuse me, where are you going? Oh, no, no. Has no one told you? You don't work here anymore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, see ya. Um, so yeah, that's that's a shock for him. Uh, but you know, it's open door for somebody at uh, the A League. I wonder if Adelaide are disappointed that they gave Kazmina the job, uh, announced they were giving Kazmina the job permanently when they did, because at that stage Stubbins seemed entrenched in his tie contract. Stubbins is the person to take over at uh, Adelaide. I mean even more so than Rado Brisbane. Uh, I think Stubbins is the makings of uh, Adelaide uh, and the best thing about it. He would do a fantastic job there. Uh, he's the one assistant I've got more confidence in than anybody else. Um, but it seems like fate's working against him, to be honest. Just a series of bad timing. So who knows where he could end up here. There's probably going to be a job at Central Coast Mariners going, uh, but Mike Mulvey would be a good choice for there as well. Yeah. Um, but he, you know, he could be uh, one to compete for that, uh, and that's actually going to be about it, isn't it? 
uh, yep. job terms for this season, it would appear. Okay. Um, so, overseas Aussies in action. Uh, Lucas Neal. Um, Scoring. His, uh, scored. And I think he was man of the match. Um, <coughs> lifted the President's Cup uh, for Al Jazeera. 3-1 win over Bani Az. Um, bit of controversy. Apparently, uh, Lucas committed a, a rugby foul in the build-up to the goal. Can't believe that. Was not it in the, in the penalty Lucas. box, many chance? Not that, Lucas. Uh, James Troisi um, has apparently walked out on his club um, in Turkey. Now, this is... Uh, there's a bit of there's a bit of history with this around non-payments. Um, the club is now this Kaiser Sport are now complaining to FIFA um, that he's left without notice or permission. Um, scored ten times. This would put a few A League teams on notice. Do you think twenty three? Yeah, I mean, I suspect he probably won't want to come to the A League just yet. He's had a tremendous season at uh, Kaiser Sport, apart from. You know, not getting paid and walking out on them. <laughs> Small trivial matters. But apart from that, he, he's been banging in the goals and getting the assists. Uh, so I think he's going to be in demand elsewhere in Europe, to be honest. I don't think he'll be looking to come back to the A-League just yet. Great player if we can, somebody can get him, but I uh, don't think today's quite the day for that yet. Okay. Um, other news, obviously, this was, uh, is part of the preamble to the grand final. Again, not great timing, but um, not a lot you can do. And this was the... The tit for tat between the Hunter Sports Group and the FFA. Um, <coughs> now, Kev, you're more familiar with the, the workings of press releases and stuff than me, being a journalist. But as an outsider looking at this, Hunter Sports Group give out a release, a formal release that says that they've had, you know, discussions. They presented a four-point plan, uh, which the FFA discarded out of hand, and as such, negotiations are over. FFA then put a release saying they've never seen the four-point plan, there haven't been any formal negotiations, and their stance is... They're both, like, formal press releases. Somebody has to be lying. It's complete farce, isn't it? Uh, I was just just... going, like, that, you know, that... Somebody has to be completely lying there. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they are, obviously. I think the, the truth obviously lies in the middle. Uh, <coughs> reading between the lines, uh, it appears the FFA and HSG have been having informal talks, negotiations, but quietly behind the scenes, uh, and also trying to set up a meeting between Tinkler and uh, a Lowy, uh, apparently over Skype or something, because they're both overseas at the moment. Uh, that talk... Be- to be a fly on the wall oh, be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> if only we could get a news international journalist to hack into that call for us. <laughs> But I think in the course of that, then HSG, during those informal talks, has put these you know, proposals through, possibly one by one, not necessarily formally in the, the form of this is what we want or what we are agreeing on. But between the two of them, they have agreed certain things and not agreed on other things. So, so, like, you know, <coughs> so are you going to drop that Jason Clean thing? No. Right. We put a formal... <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, that, that's pretty much it, you know... Uh, I think, you know, the FFA said that they were willing to talk about the Jason Kalina settlement in the way that was being proposed. And the acquisition fee. And the acquisition fee, which both completely sensible grown-up solutions to it, I think. Uh, I still think the FFA were absolute mugs to try and shaft an owner they were going to try and deal with for 10 years uh, in a way that they'd never shafted anybody else. That's just stupid. Uh, so they had to deal with that issue as a... Uh, 
priority. Jason Kalina, you've got this poor sod that's left in the middle through no fault of his own, through Clive Palmer's fault, who didn't insure him in the first place, uh, which is being overlooked again. Uh, and if somebody can come to a settlement about that, that needs to be done as soon as possible. Interestingly enough, the compromise deal doesn't include Clive Palmer. Uh, it should have been a four-way split. Uh, Clive Palmer playing a, a quarter as well, not a third each. What's also interesting about the whole Jason Kalina thing is, like, I don't earn anywhere near what Jason Kalina <coughs> earns. I've got loss of income insurance. Yeah. That I pay for every, yeah. every month. As a matter of course, I've had it for years. You know, if I was in an accident or something like that, that you know. But if, if you think somebody's doing that on your behalf, then you, you wouldn't, if you were told that, you know, Haymarket taking yeah, insurance out uh, for you. Yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, you wouldn't do it. Yeah. Um, so you can understand his position. Don't blame him in the slightest, uh, but I do blame Clive Palmer, who's escaping scot-free yet again. Uh, and as for the other two, that's stuff that, uh, you know, HSG's pulled out his arse to try and embarrass the FFA with. As soon as you start mentioning the transparent, transparency and integrity and FFA in the same uh, breath, you are one trying to create a, a, a make a point, and two create a problem because the FFA won't concede anything that says that they're not transparent. Yeah, they yeah, lack integ yeah. integrity. Uh, so you know, that's just political. And, and some of the, the, I mean, the stalls. We, we, might, we must also uh, say well done to the Newcastle fans that turned out and made their point. I mean, there's turned out Phenomenal at the stadium at a rally, which was fantastic. You know. And, that, and ultimately, I think that is what is going to turn the guy around. Yeah. If he thinks that the people that he was trying to do this for, you know, are now yeah. completely against him, and it may impact on his other businesses or his perception or Hunter Sports Group. I yeah. Think that, you know, so I think it's keep that up, boys. I think, you know, the Hunter Sports Group are being very, very well represented PR-wise uh, by uh, the, the Eclipse Events uh, PR company, who are doing a tremendous job and keeping them focused and keeping it uh, rational, uh, unlike Clive Palmer's just yeah, nonsensical yeah. approach. Uh, but by the same token, the fans are also doing a fantastic job. And Hunter Sports pledge to keep paying the Jets players to see out the contracts is a very, very good decision. But that's only for another four days. No, I think it's, it's like April the third. No, I, I think, think it's actually it? the players' contracts. So the, the extent of the players' contracts. Oh, so if okay. they're on a two-year deal. Think a lot of the players that that is till April the thirtieth. Yeah. This A League season. That then becomes a problem yeah. for the FFA. But you know, for those on a longer deal, uh, you know, that that's a smart move and it's a sensible move and it means that the club's not dead. Yeah. Uh, and it has to remain because there's too many football fans, too many football players up in that area to just walk away from it. Uh, so hopefully, well, interesting as well, obviously, is the future potentially of coach Gary Van Egmond, who we were talking about coaching opportunities earlier. And the other one that we didn't mention who was obviously Melbourne Hart. Still haven't appointed <coughs> anyone yet, although there's two I candidates was, there, you know, yeah. with, with Milicic and uh, Aloisi. I was actually expecting that this week until yeah. Ange made his decision, and they've obviously put that nice. I think it'll come next week, and I think it'll be Ante or uh, Aloisi that gets the, the gig there. Um, there was rumours that Gary was going to get taken down there with Arthur Pappas, and while that would be a sensible solution, I don't think it's going to take away from Ante or Aloisi getting it. Aloisi. Yeah. Okay. Well, Aussies elsewhere. Um, Alan Federici, uh, like Reading were confirmed as uh, as champions uh, in the Empire Championship, but thanks to a 2-2 draw with Crystal Palace, uh, he was helped very much by two other Aussies. Uh, Middlesbrough defeating Southampton 2-1, which confirmed the championship. Um, Shane Lowry uh, is playing played another 90 minutes for Millwall. 
Um, Neil Kilkenny uh, maintained a position in the championship by beating Barnsley 2 0. Dean Bassanis, remember him? Mm. He's playing at Oldham. He is. Him um, and Alex Sisak together. Yeah. Both competing for the same oh, goalkeeper's role. Right. Mitch Langerax, Borussia Dortmund won their second successive Bundesliga title after beating uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach 2 0. Nikita Rukovica started and played 66 minutes, uh, although they, were, they went down 2 1 um, against Kaiser Slaten. Um, Eredivisie, Tommy Orr um, came on in the 87th minute. Michael Zullo remained on the bench in Utrecht's 2 0 win. Um, Brett Holman returned from injury and scored uh, for Altmar in a 2 1 win over VVV Venlo. Um, Lou Wiltshire played 80 minutes. Uh, picked up a yellow for Moscow and a 1-0 win over Seska Moscow. I believe that they're in the cup final. I think they're in the Russian cup final. Oh, really? So, yeah. So, there we go. Um, that's it for part two. We'll be back in part three to talk uh, all the drama of the Champions League semi-final second legs. Attention listeners, this is an urgent message for all iPhone and Android users. Here's the facts. Last year, people downloaded $16 billion of apps for their phones, and that number is growing fast. In five years, this will grow 1,600%. If you've ever had an idea for an app, then we want to speak to you. For a free, no-obligation, fully confidential profit analysis of your idea, call 1-800-709-291 right now. At Appster, we make great apps. Here's your idea next. That number again, 1-800-709-291. That's one 800 Back to 442 Insider. Hello, welcome back to this week's 442 Insider podcast. We're going to turn our attention to Europe now and the Champions League semi-final second legs that were ultimately won by Chelsea and Bayern Munich. Big surprise. Who would have had the money on that exactly. for a double? Exactly. All right, let's start with... Uh, Yesterday morning's game, um, Barcelona 2, Chelsea 2, um, doesn't really tell the full story. Uh, Chelsea down to two men, uh, two men, that would have been funny, ten men. <laughs> um, Kev, what do you make of it? If there was fairy tales that could be written about anti-football, that would be the fairy tale of all anti-football fairy tales. Okay. All right, let's see. <laughs> How can you say it's anti-football when they scored two goals in the new Camp with 10 men? Because it was 10 men behind the ball for most of the match, for yeah. a lot of the match. Uh, and it was, I mean, Torres' goal was fairy tale goal stuff. But they it didn't was, need it. No they, no, they were already through. Um, they beat Barcelona once in the home leg. And they scored twice in the new Camp a man down. That, to me, is not anti-football. They played, they had a game plan, which they stuck to, very disciplined. Yeah. I'm not saying I agree with it, the, but, the like, reason, but the whole outrage of, the oh, re- God, you know. I, uh, I had it after the first leg. It's the like result... completed passes does not win tournaments. Oh, absolutely. I'm not... Goals, uh, will it? And, I, and the I, fact I, of the matter is, is that Barcelona dominated Chelsea for two games and couldn't bloody score. Yeah. Lionel yeah. Messi missed the penalty. Yeah. You know, I mean, they've only got... it's not his fault in isolation, but, but they had enough chances to win that game and they didn't do it. They did. Chelsea yeah. beat them in one game and scored two goals, went down to 10 men. How many people, the moment John Terry was sent off, would have said, what odds would you have got on Chelsea scoring twice? Oh, absolutely. But the fact remains, just because you score more goals doesn't make you a better team. 
It makes you a winner. It makes you a winner. <laughs> but, it, it, I mean, that's the no men- saying, surely that's the mentality no we're one, trying to get away from. No though. one's saying that Chelsea are a better team than Barcelona, but it will be Chelsea that runs out in the Champions League Cup yeah, final but that, two weeks. It depends how and you want to get And it will be Real Madrid there. that win the La Liga title this year. Oh, absolutely. But entertaining football-wise... You can't say that that was... Uh, well, you can't actually say because it was such an amazing uh, turnaround and against the odds win. Yeah, Ramirez's goal was, was as good as anything Lionel Messi does. <laughs> but it was two flashes of brilliance in an otherwise... But that's football. Workhorse. That's why we love it. Absolutely. That's why we love I'm it. I'm not saying it's a bad... It's this clash of styles <laughs> and, you know, like oh, one team's... Just to say, right, you come and attack us, you know, and we'll but drive what the is the point we'll of trying to play entertaining threat. football if workhorse performances are what is superior in the end? I mean, who's going to carry on doing the beautiful football if workhorse performances, the worst kind of Catanaccio because eight, sur- because is, is the winning formula? Eight out of ten times, Barcelona will win that game. But they, they couldn't do it. When two it out of two, twice. they didn't. Yeah. <laughs> that, but that's the beauty of it. But, um, you know, everything it's, was a, just because it Bar- was a fairy tale also, game. Just because Barcelona play the way that they play doesn't mean that everybody else has to and just fall over for them. Oh, no, no, no. Go no, man for man and no, stretch all over I'm the not, park. You know, Chelsea like, did what they had to do. But, you know, it was they were being run by a failed West Brom manager a below-mediocre Chelsea manager, and he beat Guardiola. Exactly. Isn't it brilliant? <laughs> that in itself is brilliant. Fernando Torres Fernando Torres repaid his entire 50 million transfer fee on the basis of that one goal, because they get 47 million for turning up in the final. There you go. One goal. And it was a superb goal. But it just, was fantastic. Just imagine, right? But it was you're, terrible you're football. As a Chelsea fan, you don't care. <laughs> You don't care. You've just had the best night of your life. You've got because imagine the roller coaster of emotions. Seeing John Terry stupidly sent off. What an idiot! Yeah. But also, I mean, let's be fair. Alexis Sanchez went down like he'd been shot. Rolled around like he'd been shot for a little kiss in the back with the knee. Absolutely stupid from John Terry. But my God, um, you know, you've seen him go down at ten men. You've seen your team score twice in the new Camp, and you've gone through. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Um, Real Madrid, <clears throat> 2-1 over after 120 minutes. Uh, Bayern Munich, not, the Germans win on penalties. Hate to be stereotypical, but um, <laughs> <laughs> the only surprise was they missed a couple. Um, I mean, one of the things here, I mean, again, this game had everything. Two goals from Real Madrid early, both from Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, early penalty, penalty for both sides. Um, Bayern Munich and win on penalties. So much play acting and diving again. It was like from both of them. It I was... actually I followed this game on Twitter from my bed because oh. I couldn't be bothered getting up. It was too cold. Oh. And all I could see was people saying, oh my God, get up, get yeah, up. It was all like Pepe is about six foot four. <laughs> Got flicked by Ribéry like round about the sort of elbow and went down as if he'd been <laughs> rolling around in agony and I think he realised that he was making a tip of himself because he stopped very quickly um, but again you know what I saw here I, mean, I, was, I put this on Twitter it's like extra time was a non-event mm. Not, there was no adventure both teams were more concerned about losing yep. what about radical idea 
end of 90 minutes, offering the coaches, do you want to forgo extra time and do you want to go straight to penalties? And if both agree, do it. Yeah. Because all that happened <laughs> that is potentially Bayern Munich, in trying to play for penalties and wasting time, ended up losing, I think Bayern Munich are five players down for the final from their first choice 11, and Chelsea are four players down. Yep. Yeah. You know, so what has happened in that half an hour has potentially ruined the final as a spectacle. Yeah, but if you, you do that, are you then just going to shift that 30 minutes of non-football into the, the last half an hour of the game itself, proper, where people can see penalties looming? So nah, No, no because, no, because you've still got the choice. So both coaches have to agree. Yeah, but both coaches will always agree. No, but what I'm saying is it wouldn't negate the last half an hour because if you go at the end of 90 minutes, right, you know, no, I want extra time. I think pretty soon you will find a consensus of, uh, or an average, at least, uh, emerging where most coaches will go straight to penalties uh, because they probably stand a better chance and it will keep their players in better shape for the next game afterwards and less chance of bookings. So they will go straight to penalties. Therefore, they will then transplant that 30 minutes right. of extra time non-football into your but actual you know, At least minutes. I get that half an hour back. But you're not. You're, you're, this morning. Well, you're, you're, no, you're losing half an hour in the finishes. 90 minutes. No, because the game finishes earlier. Yeah. I'm talking about a literal half an hour back. <laughs> it was mind-numbing and made me late for work. Um, so the, the final will be Bayern Munich in their own stadium in, in Munich hosting Chelsea. Um, Chelsea will be, I think, without Ivanovic, without Ramirez, no Terry. without Terry, and without um, Morales. Uh, I lost count of who Bayern Munich will be without, but I think they're without five players. Um, as someone put on Twitter, maybe all the suspended players could have a little five side <laughs> at half time <laughs> to show you what you could have, what you could have been seeing. Look what you could have little kids that run out. Maybe it's like <laughs> all the suspended players have a kick about. Um, I mean, it's difficult. I mean, Chelsea have, against all the odds, got to this final. I mean, is this going to be a game too far for them? You think? It would be interesting if Matteo won. Can you imagine that? The caretaker coach. Well, Adam Grant very nearly did it. It's true, yeah. It's the second time uh, they've reached the final yeah. and second time with caretaker coaches. Um, God, that would be such a feather in his cap if he was to do it. It would be hard to see them then replacing him. Um, but I can't see it happening, can you? Genuinely? I don't think so. I think it. Would, I think this is a game too far from. But, I mean, it's, it's an I've early, thought that before. It's you know, a really good forerunner for Euro 2012 because this is, this is England versus Germany, isn't it? Oh, do you reckon? Uh, I think it, it will be portrayed that way in Britain, at nah, least anyway. I mean, well, you've got Ashley Cole. Yeah. Maybe Daniel Sturridge might feature. But apart from that, a Lampard. It's Chelsea. Bad. Chelsea. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think I think Bayern will be too strong for them. I think the home advantage will just seal that. I can see Chelsea going there and... Um, you know, parking the bus again, to be honest. It's worth mm. this far. Yeah. Um, but what I guess what it also does help them is, because obviously they've got an FA Cup final the week before, the same week, mm. is that all the suspended players will be fit for the FA Cup that's final. That's true. Yeah. Fresh. So yeah. maybe it's helping them. Uh, all right, that's it for part three. We'll be back in the final part to look at Ooh. the Premier League. Ange oh. Postacoglu has just been appointed. Di Pietro says he's the right man for victory. There we go. News flash. You'll all know this by the time you've downloaded this this afternoon. But Ange Postacoglu has just been appointed Melbourne victory coach. So there we go. All right. Join us after the break. Premier League. 
The new issue of 442 is on sale now. We talk to Arsenal captain Robin Van Persie about how he became the most lethal striker in the EPL and Man City, while United legend Dennis Law answers your questions. Come with us to Russia to catch up with Socceroo Luke Wilkshire. We meet Brisbane Roar's Ivan Franjic and ask whether the tackle is dead in modern-day football. If it's in the game, it's in 442. On sale now at Newsagents and the App Store. The latest on the world game. This is 442 Insider. Hello, welcome back to the final part of this week's 442 Insider podcast. Let's look at the Premier League now, where it is getting hotter than the hottest chilli you can find. You know the Easter show where you go and they've always got the chilli stand? They've always got an 11 out of 10. I think it's called the Funnel Web. That's how hot the Premier League is right now. Man United threw away... Two-goal lead twice against Everton uh, in an entertaining four-all draw. Man City uh, relegated Wolves by winning 2-0 at Molyneux, which uh, means that it is, is perfectly poised. Three games to go. Man United, three points clear. However, looming. Tuesday morning our time, Monday night UK time. Man City, Man United at the Etihad. Kev, has there ever been a bigger game in the Premier League? Dan Dis. Uh, not this season. Probably not Ever? for the last few seasons. This is pretty intense. I mean, considering the whole context of it. Absolutely. Man City, new owners, Man United's dominance, going yep. for their 20th Premier League you know, championship. Man City, noisy neighbours. Oh, I mean, it's huge. Absolutely massive. Nil-nil. <laughs> Guaranteed, isn't it? Nil-nil <laughs> written all over it. <laughs> couple of yellow cars and that'll be it um nah i think it's going to be intense and i genuinely can't predict a result on this one no i mean i mean the first game at old trafford was a you know in, in you look at it and you look at the season it was just such a result out of nowhere yeah you know to, and so you just you just think like Christ, well if that happened in the first game what could happen in the second game but we sort of saw a lot of big results <laughs> big scoring games between the top four or five at the start of the season. That seems to sort of calm down a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think I said at the, the beginning of the season that the marauding fullback system was leaving people too wide open at the back and they, they've all pulled back, I think, from that, yeah. which has cut down those massive score lines that were going on. Um, but in terms of these two, it's just... Honestly, it's impossible to call. It really is genuinely impossible. I mean, you say, you know, this is a game that, I guess the thing is that a draw's really better for United than Man City because it maintains the three-point gap and there's two games left to go after that. So you'd probably say that Man City have got to go for the win. Yeah, I mean, but you also got to look at their home records. You know, 16 wins and yeah. one draw. Uh, yeah. Never lost a game this season. But equally... Look at United's, uh, United's away, away form. They've only lost wins. two games yeah. all season. Um, so, it's, and it's not well. Actually, it is because it's being played in Manchester, so it is an away game for them. Um, from United's perspective, <laughs> took me a while to get out. Yeah. Uh, they, you know, their entire season is going to revolve around this game. Now it all comes down to this. So they're going to be g'd up for it. They've come into form. At the right time, Man City had a slump. They've come back to form at the right time. Uh, where do you start? Yeah. Honestly, where do you start? Uh, I I wouldn't even like to name the first 11s of either side right now because I couldn't. 
it's, it's going to be fantastic. I can't intense. wait. 5am Tuesday a. morning. We're it's just going talking to be, about, but that is well worth getting up for. We're talking about this off, off, uh, off mic, and yeah, I think I'm probably going to have to get up <laughs> for this. Well, elsewhere, just below that, uh, is obviously the battle for Champions League. And again, which has also been now heightened because of Chelsea in the, prem, in the Champions League final. Because if Chelsea win it, <coughs> they will take the fourth spot. So fourth spot in the Premier League will no longer be a Champions League spot because Chelsea will take it as holder. That's right. Yeah. Um, so imagine if you're Newcastle, <laughs> you finish fourth, <laughs> and then you don't get a Champions League, you get Europa League. You'd be gutted. I still fancy Newcastle for a third. To well, be yeah, I mean, let's look at. I mean, you know, Newcastle leapfrogged uh, Tottenham. Uh, Spurs' horror run continued. I think it's one win in nine now. Um, they went down 1-0 at QPR. Meantime, uh, Newcastle were beating Stoke comfortably 3-0, which sees them going to fourth. Uh, only three points behind Arsenal and with a game in hand. Um, Arsenal's 0-0 with Chelsea opened the door for Newcastle. But you'd, you'd have to say, what a season, Newcastle from Pardew. I mean, no That's one would have predicted that. Astonishing. I, mean, I remember at the beginning of the season, we are about two months into the season, and everybody was hailing Newcastle then, but they still hadn't played any serious teams. Yep. You know, they'd been going through the, the lower league teams, uh, the lower end of the table, rather. Uh, and then they started playing the big teams and getting the results against them too. And it's it just it is an astonishing season for them. Pardew's done a fantastic job, brought together a great group of players, got them playing great football, playing well for each other, uh, and had a great striker in Denver Bar, and then effectively replaced him with an even better striker in Cissé. Yeah, although Pardew says that, you know, although since Cissé's come, I think he's scored in six consecutive games now. Yeah. They've won six consecutive games. But Pardew is very quick to look, still lord the role that Barr is playing in, in providing oh, that. Yeah. Not yeah. He, he, he used to be the sole team. threat for yeah. him, and now he's doing a lot more with the legwork for, for Cissé. Yeah, I mean, it got to the stage where if you were going to try and defeat uh, Newcastle, you just needed to surround Bar, and yeah. you, know, you could contain the threat. He was the Put source. A of sheepdogs, <laughs> pretty much. But <laughs> <laughs> um, well also, I mean, let's you know their midfield. That that midfield pairing of Tiote and Kabaye. You know, you've got the strength of Tiote, the guile of Kabaye. I mean, for me, Kabaye has been probably the buyer of the season. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Ben Arthur's come into his own as well in the second half of the yeah. season, working really well with Cissé, uh, and providing that second layer of attack for them. Uh, so they've just got such a menacing uh, forward line now. And they, uh, haven't, they haven't seemed to be hit by injury that often. I know Colaccini missed a few games, and that was coincided with their little blip yeah. when they got they shipped like five goals at Spurs, and I think they had another heavy defeat, but then he came back in the side and shored things up again. Yeah. Um, Chelsea, uh, point behind Spurs now. Spurs have, you know, I mean, is it as simple, Ked, do you think, as everybody's been distracted by the talk of Rennap for England? Or? Well, it did seem to coincide with... It's coincided exactly, with Cap- but sometimes that, it, yeah. It's a hell of a coincidence if it isn't that, uh, to be honest. And I don't know, it, it, it's... I can't see any other reason for it, to be honest. Uh, they were going travelling very, very well up to that point. Well, Mar- I mean, when Martin O'Neill was at Villa, we always used to have a horror March and April. Yeah. And it was because he never used to rotate his team. Yeah. If the players were fit, they played. Yeah, yeah. You know, and Redknapp's a little bit like that. He rotates through necessity, not through choice. I mean, um, they've not had the most punishing schedule, though, have they? I think, it was like, I think when O'Neill was at Villa, I don't think he won a game in March for three years. 
<laughs> that's, that's <laughs> yeah, we were Christmas we're flying but the problem they just ran out of steam yeah and he didn't trust the other people to come so he was playing people half fit and yeah I mean Spurs have, have still got a good depth but they have had a few injuries I mean uh, Van, der Fel, uh, Van der Vaart and Bale have been on and off games. Adebayo's missed a few games yeah. as well uh, yeah so you know there's been that but the coincidence of it coming after Capello's uh Sacking resignation uh, is all too much of a coincidence, I think, to, to ignore. Yeah. Well, it's just like, you know, it's like that the FA have said, we won't be making any sort of because we don't want to unsettle anyone during the season. We, we dealt with after the season. It, like they've you just know, basically derailed Spurs' season. Exactly. You know, you might as well just come out and say it and get it out there in the open. But I guess, you know, the question now is that for every week that carries on, is Harry Redlap less likely to get the England job? You have to say. Are they yeah. going away on a minute? That's not Have quite the revolution that we thought it was going to be. And also mentally, you know, if just the speculation of him getting the job is interfering him with him delivering, yep. imagine, you know, the actual pressure, the actual of, the job pressure of being England manager. He's not a know? man that handles pressure particularly well anyway, yeah. as we see from his nervous twitches. Yeah, so there we go. Um, all right, uh, down the bottom. <clears throat> Here we go. Uh, I actually, I was saying <laughs> to you earlier, Kev, I made the fatal error. Anzac Day morning. Beautiful. Two games of football, both recorded on the IQ. Got up at a half five. Which shall I watch first? Oh, I'll watch the Champions League first. Then I, t- then I put Villa Bolton on afterwards. God, it was appalling by comparison. <laughs> uh, I, was, I said Villa completed 56% of their passes. That was their successful completion rate, which apparently has only been, wor- has only been bettered or worst, as you might say by someone in League 1 or League 2, you know. That's like, astonishing. It's, it was awful. We went ahead, and then you think, okay, and then within 120 seconds, we were 2-1 down. No idea, no clue. And, and as I've been saying for weeks on this podcast, this has been coming. I, I was able to spot this weeks away, and we are now firmly in the relegation battle. We are three points away from the drop zone, uh, three games to go. We don't look like winning. We've got uh, West Brom away this weekend. Nothing that West Brom would like more <laughs> to send Villa down. <laughs> we've got Spurs at home, and then we've got Norwich away on the last day of the season. I can easily see us not winning any of those games. I still say that even if you don't win any of those games, there's three teams worse than you below. But I'm not sure who they are at the moment because no, you know, it does keep changing Bolton week from week. Bolton have just beaten us. They're in the bottoms. <laughs> <laughs> Wigan have Wigan have won away at, at Liverpool. <laughs> they've beaten Man United and they've won. They've beaten Arsenal. You know, I still think Wolves obviously are going down. Rovers almost certainly going down in my mind. I can't see any reason they'll stay up. And I just feel that one of those three, Bolton, Wigan or QPR, is still worse, but only just, than Aston Villa. Yeah. Uh, I just, I can't see you going down. I don't think you're going to escape Vi very much at all. Right, uh, he's got to go. He has got to. I, mean, I don't the, understand. The I, still, I just, still don't understand how he got the job in the first awful. place. I mean, I, you know, like I, put, I had a bit of a rant on Twitter this week, but... Um, you know, we've had like something like 358 corners and not scored from one of them, uh, where we used to lead the, the league on set-piece conversions. Yeah. Um, we've conceded more goals than anyone else from set-pieces, and we've conceded 
we've lost more points from winning positions than anyone else this season. You've got to wonder what's going on at the training sessions when oh, you can I have just... that many corners and not get a single go. I mean, surely there should be a big red light that says, training, corners, yeah. corners, corners. Set pieces, easy set pieces that we're likely to get. Let's try and get something from these. But watching them genuinely, it doesn't look like there's any system at all. It just looks like it's just going to go out and run around a bit. I genuinely no. don't understand why he got the job in the first place and no. why he's still there. I can only imagine it's limping through to the end of the season and then get change. But I sincerely hope so. I hope we don't have to get relegated for it to change because it needs to change quickly. Um, other games this weekend, Everton, Fulham, Stoke, Arsenal, Sunderland, Bolton, uh, Swansea, Wolves, West Brom, Villa, Wigan, Newcastle, Norwich, Liverpool, um, Chelsea, QPR, Tottenham, Blackburn, Liverpool again, um, you know, defeat at home to West Brom, Roy Hodgson's West Brom. Um, do we see Dalglish staying in the job? Kamoli's gone already. Um, they're in the they're in the FA Cup final. They won the Carling Cup. What do we think? If if he can bring home the FA Cup and the Carling Cup, that's a double winning season. And it's you know okay eighth position at the moment probably not going to do much better than that uh, isn't a, a huge vote of success for Douglas but winning two trophies that is unfortunately and I don't see him getting the arse to be honest 16 points off a Champions League place which is what they targeted for the expenditure oh look the um, the the season is without doubt a failure for Liverpool um, five in, home wins in terms of the league. Um, but I just don't see them giving Dalglish the arse. Uh, I, I think he'll be given at least one more season uh, yeah. and then take it from there. Goal difference of three overall. Only 20 goals scored at home compared with 50 from Man United, 51 from Man City, 36 from Arsenal. If you look at those around him, uh, a goal difference of three is appropriate for that position on the league. You know, um, So... They deserve to be in eighth place. It's, they don't deserve Both to be higher. They don't deserve to be. Haven't spent fifty million on two strikers. I think everybody can agree that you know they didn't necessarily spend the best money, but they were in a situation where they had to spend money. I mean, the whole Carol Torres thing was a completely artificial situation. Torres got a. They were offered a huge amount of money to get for Torres, but, but they couldn't say no. But arguably, they've played without Andy Carroll for ninety percent of the season. So why did they have to buy him? No. Because he was a top striker at Newcastle. There is no doubt that he was an impressive striker at Newcastle. He was not worth £35 million in the sense of any other time in the season. You wouldn't have paid that. But when you're in a situation where you've just sold your best striker for £50 million, you've got to get a new striker in. He's the best striker in the country. And the least that you can spend on it to prize him away from his club is 35 million he becomes worth 35 million yeah. the fact that he didn't perform but then when you see Newcastle bring in Cissé for oh, 8, 9 million look, yeah what was the issue is he was the best striker in the country was yes. that part of the problem yeah that they didn't look further afield than that I think it was a case of he was the best striker in the country he was the best English striker as well because I think they were trying to build up the, the UK aspect of things again with Liverpool but also bear in mind that this was deadline day January last year yeah you know, where they weren't challenging for the league. He wasn't going to kick him on to be a championship winning side. Did they have to spend the £35 million in the January? Could they have not said, well, hang on a minute, let's just wait. 
I think they, I think they did, to be honest. They if got they, Suarez. If they so had, Suarez, wouldn't Suarez be enough in the January window and say, well, let's I think, pocket that and let's have a look? I think the fans would have been in a bit of revolt if they had taken £50 million and not spent it and lost Torres. I mean, I remember... Liverpool I, fans wanted him to go at that point anyway. Yeah, but they, they would still want somebody to replace him, you know. You got Suarez. Yeah, no, I think they would they would want to see money being spent. And I, I still think that at the time, under the circumstances, it was good business. They got more than they should have done for Torres. They spent more than they should have done for Carroll. They had 15 million left over. That, that on paper, was a good deal. Uh, the fact that Torres failed to perform for Chelsea, Carroll failed to perform for Liverpool, is incidental. They still had Suarez, luckily. But, you know, that could have worked out differently. Uh, That could have worked out very differently. Under the circumstances, I don't think you can necessarily hold Doug Leash responsible for that. Okay, so quick question. Things stay the same. Does Doug Leash win in the FA Cup determine whether he's a manager of Liverpool next year? Yeah, I think he probably does, to be honest. If if, he doesn't win the FA Cup. I think everyone would. I can't see him not being at the club. Yeah. I can see him being moved. I can see him becoming the director of football, yeah. Yeah. But uh, I don't think... It all his future as manager rests on the, on the FA Cup. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, it is now hotting up. Three games to go. Four games for some teams in the uh, Premier League. We're at the final stage in the FA Cup and uh, Champions League. Um, we will be back uh, for the Euros um, on the podcast. We're going to take a bit of a break now. Um, but obviously, the website is the place to be for everything that is happening between now and then. Um, under Kev's... Uh, expert guidance uh, we won't be missing a beat but we'll be back for some euro special podcasts during the uh, championships in june uh, and it's been uh, an interesting a league season uh, yes say that yeah every year yeah no i think i think it's been overall a very very good a league season i'd agree with that um, all right plenty plenty wrong off the pitch but plenty good going on it and that's where ultimately the action should take place so uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, you've been listening to 442 Podcast. 442 Insider is a Helms Media Solutions production. Visit helms.com.au to find out more about our services.